If you have brought a Bible with you, perhaps you could turn with me to the Old Testament prophet of Habakkuk. I trust I've said it correctly. That's what I'm saying and I'm sticking by it. Uh, we're going to be reading from Habakkuk 1 and from verse 12 all the way to verse 5 of chapter 2. It's, uh, last week I very helpfully told you that it was in the Old Testament. And uh, it, it's, Habakkuk is before you get to Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, you have Habakkuk. So it's a little bit more help today. So Habakkuk 1 and verse 12. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every word is living and operative. Help us by your Holy Spirit that it would be a light to our paths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like cruel, crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his Dragnet, for by then he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net, and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower, and look out and to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write provision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. And one of, the, um, my, one of my studies in recent weeks has been a book called Christianity at the Crossroads. I've had the privilege of studying it with a book club at the EFCC. And it's a tremendous book, Christianity at the Crossroads, and it speaks about the church in the second century. It's a wonderful book, not encouraging you to spend money, but if you want to get hold of it, it is a wonderful book. And it speaks about one of the oldest Christian books after the Bible. It's a book called the Didache, which means Greek for the teaching. 
and it is a collection of teachings from the early church at the end of the first century, beginning of the second century, and it has some instructions for teachers and prophets and prayers and liturgies. At the heart of this document are several chapters which talk about two ways to live. And the book begins with this remarkable sentence. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, and there is a great difference between the two ways. So choose wisely. Last week, over about three nights before I fell asleep each time, I watched again Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, a wonderful film, really recommended to you, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And at the end, there's this bad guy, he's the Nazi guy called Donovan, and he has to choose the Holy Grail, it's, it's fiction by the way, um, from an array of cups. And Elsa, who is Donovan's sometime sidekick, picks out for him, deliberately, the one that is most flamboyant. It's gold and it has precious stones in it for Donovan. And he drinks it and he thinks he's going to live forever. And it's a very scary scene, you know, um, I'm, you know I'm quite timid or quite timid disposition and I was quite scared by it. Stop rolling your eyes. But um, he, he ages in an instant and he shrivels up and dies in a very scary way. And he ends up as dust. And the Grail Knight, I have to reassure you, it's all fiction, who has been guarding for 700 years, and has had 700 years to think about what he would say if anybody made it there, simply says, he chose poorly. And then, of course, Harrison Ford, who is Indiana Jones, walks with great intent and purpose, looking at all the cups, and he picks up the cup of a carpenter, a humble stone cup, and he drinks it and nothing happens. And the Grail Knight says, you have chosen wisely. Now that is fiction, but the Bible is true. And there are two ways to live. One is the way of life, and the other is the way of death. There is no third way. Sometimes there is a third way, or a fourth way, or a fifth way, but here you have the way of life, and you have the way of death. And we don't have to go to Harrison Ford, we don't even have to go to the second century church, or the did Akira, to find that kind of distinction. Because it is in the Bible. Jesus said, you're going to be a wise builder, or a foolish builder. Are you building your house on the rock? Are you building your house on the sand? There is a wide road that many people are on that leads to death. And there is a narrow path and few are on it and it leads to life. Proverbs says that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man but the end is death. Many people in our day are on a road that they are convinced is the one that will bring them satisfaction. And Proverbs gives us this category that there are some who are convinced that they're on the right way, but the path they're on 
leads to death. Psalm 1 tells us about the way of the wicked, the scornful, the scoffer, the mocker. And then there is the way of the blessed man. The whole Mosaic covenant is built on this distinction. There were blessings that were broadcasted from Mount Gerizim. There were curses that were proclaimed from Mount Ebal. Would the nation receive the Lord's blessing? Or, as Habakkuk is warning them, after centuries of disobedience, will they receive curses from the Lord? And we often see in the Bible this contrast. Habakkuk gives us a contrast, which leads us to one of the most famous affirmations in the whole of the Bible. I want you to look at chapter 2 and verse 4. Do you see that contrast just in that one verse? That's why I read the scripture. At the, the scriptures I read at the beginning are drawn from this verse. In the first half of verse 4 of chapter 2, you have the way that leads to death. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. That's a description of the unrighteous man. And what is his defining characteristic? He is proud. He believes in himself. His soul is puffed up. But we know from the context that it is the way of death. And then by contrast, the second half of verse 4, we meet the righteous man. And his defining characteristic is just the opposite. Rather than believing in himself, he believes in God. And this is the way of life. The righteous shall live by his faith. So Habakkuk ends his, with this second complaint. And the Lord's response to Habakkuk, before we move on in Habakkuk to the woes upon the Chaldeans, the woes upon the Babylonians. And the climax of this section, and in some sense the climax of the entire book, is this contrast in chapter 2, verse 4. We'll come back to that at the end, this amazing declaration that the New Testament picks up at least three times. We read three of them this morning. The righteous shall live by faith. But what is the argument? Well, you've got Habakkuk's two complaints. There's a heading in your Bible over chapter 1, verse 2, which says Habakkuk's complaint. And then before verse 12, Habakkuk's second complaint. Remember the first argument, why do you not do something, God, about the iniquity in our land? How long? Why? We saw in chapter 1, verse 4, the law is paralysed. Habakkuk's complaint isn't about those outside the covenant community, those pressing them or taking advantage of them of disobeying God, but rather within their own midst, the law is paralysed. People have become cauterised to their own sin. The Lord responds, chapter 1, verse 5, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I want to encourage you with that word, we looked at it last week. But how wonderful to hang on to that in these days. The Lord is doing a work that you would not believe if told. Do you believe that? The Lord is doing a work. And what he's saying is so astounding in verse 6 that as part of that he's raising up this wicked people, the Chaldeans, this superpower to come as Assyria fades and 
Babylon is on the rise. God says, I see the inequity you see. I will do something about it. I'm raising up this fierce and loathsome people, the Chaldeans, to punish those in Judea. And Habakkuk is going to make a second complaint. And it is an instance where God gives an answer and the answer produces more questions because his ways are not our ways. Habakkuk says, Lord, you don't care. Lord, there is injustice. Lord, what are you going to do? God says, step back. I'm going to do a work that you wouldn't believe if told. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and they're going to wipe you out. Habakkuk says, that isn't the answer I was expecting. God has given revelation. And with that revelation has come, in the short term, more confusion. So Habakkuk musters up the courage to issue a second complaint. And he begins in verse 12 with a declaration of God's character. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Lord, there is Yahweh, the covenant name. So Habakkuk is expressing truth. He's confident that God will do what is right. He's confident that though the whole world has changed, God has not changed. God has not changed. And that's something that we need to be reminded of. The world is a very different place, isn't it, from February 2020. But God has not changed. It looks like everything has changed. But the most important thing in the universe has not. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. God and his purposes and his will has not changed. He is forever the rock. Habakkuk says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. So Habakkuk is building up his case by starting out with truth about God. He's saying truth about God. He's saying you are everlasting. You are the rock. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. And this is all preface to get to his second complaint. But before we go there, let's look at the first part of verse 12, this strange statement, but an amazing expression of confidence from Habakkuk. We shall not die. Habakkuk is, from start to finish, realistic, raw and honest about what is happening to his people. This isn't a moment of wishful thinking, saying, I'm sure everything is going to be all right. No, Habakkuk is saying, Lord God, even as I question you, even as I offer a second complaint, I know you are eternal, I know you are the rock, I know you are holy, I know you have made promises, so God, it cannot be that ultimately we are wiped out. We are your people, you are everlasting, you have made with us an everlasting covenant. So whatever is coming to us, ultimately we will not be wiped out. There is all the difference in the world between a grumble and a groan. We looked at it a little bit last week. There's all the difference biblically between a whine and a lament. There is all the difference between a complaining spirit and a spirit-filled complaint. 
this, I'll just say that again because I think it's really important. There's a difference between a complaining spirit and a spirit-filled complaint. This is a groan from Habakkuk. This is a lament. This is a spirit-filled complaint. This is an important distinction. Because the righteous seem at times to be suffering more than the wicked. And the wicked go ahead. If you look at social media, you will think that the wicked are winning. The righteous are suffering, the wicked are ahead. Now there's been no shortage of answers to that question over the years. God is, some people say, God is powerful, but he's not good. Or God, God is good, but he's not really in control. Or God gives us so much freedom, but he doesn't have sovereign sway over what we do. Which is famously or in, infamously Harold Kushner's response in why do bad things happen to good people. And I am not making a more recommendation, by the way. But Habakkuk does not do that. He doesn't take from God that God is good. He doesn't take from God that God is strong. He affirms them both. You are everlasting. You are the rock. You are omnipotent. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. So I know you are good. He doesn't whine because of what he's experiencing. Because of what he's seeing. And as a result, he denies truth about God. That is the wrong kind of a groan. That's a grumble and it's a whine and it's sinful. But at the heart of the second complaint is the realisation that Babylon will be the instrument of God's chastisement. But on an objection scale, they're worse than Judah. If you look at verse 13 of chapter 1. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? They were used to the wicked being swallowed up. Not the righteous being swallowed up by the wicked. Just think about it for a moment. In the flood, it was Noah and his family, eight righteous persons in the ark, while the rest of the world is literally swallowed up in the water. And the ark, of course, is a great reminder because that is where the rainbow comes from. The rainbow comes from God's promise. Whatever else you're told, that is where the rainbow is a symbol of God's promise. And when they crossed the Red Sea, it was God's people, it was the Israelites who made it safely through. And the Egyptians swallowed up by the sea. So Israel has in their history, oh God, you swallow up the wicked. But now it seems as if the wicked are going to swallow up the righteous, or at least those who are less wicked than they. So Habakkuk's second complaint is, how can this be? How can this be? And then he uses this word picture in verse 14 and following, that we are like fish. This is a great chapter for fishermen, isn't it? Because Habakkuk says we're like fish in the sea, awaiting their hooks and their dragnet. The created order is being overturned. They do not see themselves exercising dominion over the fish of the sea, Genesis 1, but they're baked for Babylon, verse 15. 
Babylon brings them up with a hook. He drags them with his net. And to make matters worse, verse 15, he's going to gather them and rejoice and be dragged. Babylon is going to gloat over Israel. And to make, to make matters worse, they're idolatrous. They will sacrifice to his net. They will make offerings to his dragon. They will get rich. Habakkuk is building his case. Lord God, the Babylonians are traitors, are traitors. They swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves. They're going to be shooting fish in a barrel. And they're going to gloat over us. And then they'll make idols out of it and become rich because of it. Why, God? Remember, this is Habakkuk's second complaint. And then in verse 17, is he then going to keep on emptying his nets and mercilessly killing nations forever? That is the complaint. Then Habakkuk goes on to say, I'll take my stand at the watch post and look out to see what answer he will get concerning his complaint. This is Moses waiting in the cleft of the rock. This is Balaam waiting for the revelation that God would bring to Balak. This is Elijah at the mountain waiting for the revelation of God. It is the nature of prophecy to wait for a word from the Lord. And do you see again at the end of verse 1, confusing but striking. Look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Even as Habakkuk is offering up his second complaint, I think he knows that he's wrong. And he's anticipating that the Lord will not relent. He's anticipating that the Lord is not going to tie up all the loose ends as Habakkuk sees it. Habakkuk is anticipating a second, second rebuke and thinking how he will answer that rebuke. This is another healthy way to lament, to grieve, to complain. This is a posture of humility, even as he anticipates how he will answer concerning his complaint. Habakkuk 2 verse 2, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Thinking of the Ten Commandments. Write it down. I want you to run ahead with it. I want everyone to get the message. Verse 3. Still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. This is a lot like what Peter says in 2 Peter 3. That with the Lord one day is at a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness. It's the same thing here with the prophetic word. The vision is waiting its time. Yet, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. That's a word for me. Maybe a word for you. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So they're back and forth. It may seem like it's not coming. It may seem like there's a delay, but wait for it. Because in God's timing, brothers and sisters, it will not be slow. And the bottom line, the most important word is in the middle, it will not lie. It will happen. And in round, jumping over verse 4 to verse 5, there's another description of what's coming from Babylon. A drunken man on a rampage, a greedy man, 
where death is never enough. Habakkuk's second complaint, and in the middle of it is this verse 4. There's two ways. Verse 4 is the message. Verse 4 is what the Lord wants to put on tablets. This is what he's talking about in verse 2 when he says, write the vision. Verse 3 says, it may be delayed, but wait for it, it will come. And this is the vision that they were to write down. It's introduced with the word behold, which means look, attention, listen. It's kind of written in all capitals, or some people underline it, or they put it in bold, or they put it in 24 point font. You know the kind of thing to try and grab your attention? When I was at the school in Vienna, we had a dear, dear brother who used to write his emails in, in font, I think, 16, and every, every word was a different colour. And it used to drive us a little crazy trying to read the emails, but it was fun. Anyway, um, but, this, but this is trying to grab your attention. There are two ways to live. And I want you to run, Habakkuk, and run furious. And I want you to post it all over Judah. There is a way to live that is proud and puffed up. And there is another way. The righteous shall live by faith. The Lord's answer is directly related to Habakkuk's daring confidence at the beginning of his complaint. In verse 12, remember he said what seemed like a non sequitur, we shall not die, God, we shall not all die. Now the Lord answers Habakkuk's second complaint. And he says, Habakkuk, you are correct. There is a way you will not die. The righteous shall live by faith. We may not be able to stop a virus. We may not be able to stop upheaval. The Lord says to Habakkuk, you can't stop the nation from being judged. But you can keep yourself and anyone who will listen to your message from being guilty of the same things they are guilty of. As I said last week, I do not know. I am not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I work for a non-profit, no, that's okay. <laughs> but I do not know what the Lord is doing. But it seems very possible to me that the Lord means to judge our nation. Why? He could have had any one of a number of things to choose from. And we may not have a choice as to whether the Lord executes judgment. We do not have a choice in the days that we are living in. But we have a choice. Will we be guilty of the same things? So however, this is how you can live. The righteous can live by his faith. Three words in Hebrew. Three words. Sadiq. The righteous one. Not just innocent, but positively righteous. The contrast to the first half of the verse, the one who is not upright. This is the one who is upright. This is the one who has a positive legal verdict from the God of the covenant. You will be decreed as a covenant keeper. 
How do you receive the eternal blessings of the covenant and be deemed a covenant keeper? You must be righteous. You see verse 6 and following the curses. The Lord is not done with Babylon. Their day is coming. Their judgment is coming. The Lord will not ignore their sin. But he's talking about the covenant people. He says, this is how you can be saved. You must be righteous, Sadiq. How am I to be a righteous one? By faith. I, don't, I had a wonderful time with this word and in, in Hebrew for faith here. It's, if you want to look it up, it's Strong's 530, and uh, it's Immuna. But it's by his faith, or by some translations, by his faithfulness, which means the same thing, by your steadfast trust in the God of the covenant. That's why I read Psalm 119.30. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. That's the same word. I set your rules before me. Proverbs 12 verse 17, whoever speaks the truth, that's the same word, gives honest evidence. This isn't an abstract faith. This is not by his faith in an abstract set of theological principles. But concretely, you must believe God in the midst of a world that is crumbling around you. You do not have faith without faithfulness, and you do not have faithfulness without faith. So the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous may suffer when the Babylonians come, but ultimately they will live forever. That is our message, brothers and sisters. We may suffer, but ultimately we will live forever. And it is the way to live. It is the way to have a life that is blessed. Even if you live among a people that are cursed, you cannot avoid the collateral damage that will come when the Babylonians sweep over you, but you can be innocent, and more than that, you can be righteous. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament because it is one of the most important verses in the world. They can be three separate sermons on their own, and that's why I read it at the beginning. This verse is quoted three times in the New Testament, at least. Romans 1, verse 17. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul is saying that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Because when we believe in the gospel, we are counted righteous and we are saved. And those three Hebrew words in Habakkuk are the centrepiece for Romans. The most famous letter ever written. How can you be right before God? By faith. Galatians 3. The righteous shall live by faith. In Romans 1, Paul is drawing from Habakkuk to say this is what it looks like for the righteousness of God to be revealed from faith to faith. This is how we can be righteous. And in Galatians, he makes it clear what it is and what it is not that produces this decree of righteousness. It is not the works of the law. It is amazing when the Lord answers Habakkuk's second complaint. He doesn't say, and the righteous. Because Habakkuk's first complaint is that the law is paralysed. They are disobeying the law. So it would make sense if the Lord would say, you can be righteous if you go back and start obeying the law. But that is not what he says. 
The righteous will live not by law keeping, but by faith. Now we know that in God's economy, that faith produces good works. But that is not what the law says to Habakkuk. That is not what Paul says to the Galatians. It is not by keeping the law, it is by faith. And then Hebrews 10, where the author to the Hebrews quotes from Habakkuk, it is with a different purpose. Romans 1 is about righteousness. Romans 3, sorry, Galatians 3 is faith versus works of the law. Hebrews 10, it is about perseverance in the midst of persecution. My righteous one shall live by faith. Which leads us to the hall of fame, of course, in Hebrews 11, of faith. The Hebrews were facing opposition for their faith. They were being misunderstood, being mistreated as Christians. The writer quotes from Habakkuk to say this is how to persevere. I want you to see how Habakkuk speaks to three different situations. How you are saved. What sort of mechanism that saves you, faith not works, and how you should live as one who is saved. Faith isn't something we put into the equation and then we get righteousness and move on with the rest of our life. No, the righteous shall live by his faith. So in closing, think of these two questions. How can I be saved? Habakkuk gives us the answer that is true from start to finish in the Bible. Abraham, Genesis 15. Abraham believed the Lord. It was credited to him as righteousness. In the garden there was a tree. If Adam had obeyed and listened to God, there would be life in the covenant of works. But after that it is one strand. Covenant of grace. Please never think that in the Old Testament they were saved by the law. Or that in the Mosaic covenant they were saved by obedience. The only way that God's people have ever been saved or ever will be saved is by faith. We shall not die, Habakkuk says. And the Lord says the just shall live by faith. How can we be saved? Not by the works of the law, but by faith in the promises of God. And then the second question to leave you with, how shall we then live? Paul is using Habakkuk in a legitimate way. But look, the question wasn't immediately how do I become a Christian or how do I become righteous? It's rather thinking about the way in which the gift will continue to be received and embraced. What is the way of life? And in the midst of that, the Lord says, how you shall live is the way of faith. Will we accept God's word in the midst of a battle? A barrage, a barrage of bad news. By any measure, objective or subjective, 2020 has not been the year we were hoping for. If this was the year you were hoping for, you need to hope for some better things. It was in 2020 we had the Australian bushfires. Remember that? And how that was the big catastrophe. But that melted into insignificance. That was like eight catastrophes ago. We're in the throes of a global pandemic that is still going. Many may be unemployed. We may be plunged into a massive recession or worse. The killing of George Floyd. 
The protests, the riots, the looting, the cancellation culture, the no redemption culture of our 2020 world. And then look more personally. Rabbi Zacharias went home to be with Jesus this year. Peter Maiden, his burials tomorrow, went home on Tuesday to be with the Lord Jesus. And only close family can be at his funeral tomorrow. 30, I think. Jim Packer, the author of Knowing God, many other wonderful books. The giant of evangelicalism went home to glory on Friday, age 93. Tim Keller has pancreatic cancer. There are murder, we were on the internet last week, there are murder hornets in the United States that wipe out bees and can kill a human with their sting. There were marauding monkeys who stole vials of coronavirus from an Indian health worker. And some of you could say, well I can take all of that because that's so bad. That's really bad. But I can take that, but I've lost my job. Or my husband has died. My children don't talk to me anymore. It's not global catastrophe, but it's personal loss. So this word, the righteous shall live by faith, it's easier for us to believe the salvation part. Do you get what I mean? I believe Jesus loves me. He died on the cross. I'm going home to heaven and I'm going to be safe. I believe that. But faith is not just there, it is here. Because that's where it was for Habakkuk. The Babylonians are coming. I don't know when. But when they come, they're going to wipe out the people. They're going to destroy the temple. They're going to take over Jerusalem. Our people are going to be punished. This is the worst possible news for the nation. How do you have faith? It's in the midst of that that the Lord says, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you believe, dear Christian? Do you believe? Do you have faith that all in spite of all that's going around, that God is with you. Do you have faith that sin is not the last word? Do you have faith that death has lost its sting? Do you have faith that prayer really works? Do you have faith that God has a plan for the church and God has a purpose for you? Do you have faith that heaven is real? It was about 18 months ago, Peter Maiden and I were walking to stand by the Launchley Centre. And he said to me, James, when did you last hear a really good sermon on heaven? And he said, probably not since our brethren days, right? Well, he lived that sermon for me. He lived that sermon. And I didn't realise it at the time. But do you have faith that heaven is real? Do you have faith that God will never leave you? Do you have faith that God will never forsake you? Do you have faith that Jesus is worth it? The righteous shall live by faith. How shall we be saved and how shall we live? And the answer, my dear friend, is the same. By faith. May the Lord bless the word for his.
glory and for our eternal good. Yes. Amen.